0: Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. At some point, we will respect sample size. At some point, we will reject some of the odd narratives that pop up around the NFL from time to time. But that point is not now. The Buffalo Bills defeated the Baltimore Ravens in a shocking one-score game where they were down by 17 and came back to win 23-20. Man, the roller coaster on that game was serious. I had the words fraud start popping up in my mentions during the game on twitter.com. And the roller coaster doesn't even go game by game. Heck, it doesn't even go quarter by quarter. It goes inch by inch and play by play. The only way to avoid the roller coaster, the only way to avoid looking back on something you tweeted during a game and thinking, oh gosh, what was I thinking? Or something you said to your buddy at the bar, or something you texted to your father, or whatever the case may be, is to learn to respect sample size. The only way to avoid the roller coaster is to not get on. Because the roller coaster is going to go play by play, inch by inch, because that's what the game looks like in the modern NFL. Devin Singletary was inches. Away from fumbling. After a punch from Odafe Oway, Right before the Bills kicked a game-winning field goal. Think of the narratives. If that ball comes out. That means Devin Singletary will have had two fumbles. He'd be one of the most fumble-prone running backs in the NFL over the last couple of years. Even though he hasn't lost a lot of fumbles, he's fumbled a reasonable amount of times. Melvin Gordon, Devin Singletary, as far as total fumbles. The narrative would be about how the Bills choked away an opportunity, couldn't win a one-score game, couldn't keep their poise. That would be the narrative. But instead, the narrative is about how they kept their composure. About how they stuck together when times were tough. They rallied back from 17 points all because of about three inches. That's the narrative difference. Now, I know the ball game wasn't necessarily going to be lost if Devin Singletary fumbled that ball. But it could have gone to overtime. Bills could have lost in overtime. And that would be the discussion. It would be the 13 seconds of this particular game. That's why most of the significant narratives In the NFL are nonsense. Most of them are time fillers. And it's because they're based on inches. One play. Changes the whole narrative. Because we just refuse to respect sample size. We just refuse to do it. We don't want to do it. I'm personally glad. That we don't have to hear about the one score narrative. For a whole lot longer now. I'm sure it might pop up if the Bills lose two in a row, but I'm glad because I railed pretty hard against it last week and I'm feeling fairly vindicated this week. The Bills essentially outravened the Ravens. The Ravens tried to let the Bills score so they wouldn't bleed out the clock, but the Bills were prepared. They had to get the first down at the goal line without getting the touchdown. And for those of you who are wondering whether or not that was the right call, I ah, just take the touchdown. This is stupid. A field goal attempt with the other team having zero seconds is better than the touchdown attempt with them having significant amounts of time. Because time is more important. A field goal from that range is incredibly high percentage. Incredibly high percentage. Well, Bruce, just take the points. Sure. The odds that the Ravens are going to go down and score touchdown and tie the game and send you to overtime are greater than the odds of you missing the field goal. That's the reason why you do it. That's the reason why that's the right call. And it's good coaching. You know what else is good coaching? On fourth and two for the Ravens, on a pivotal play where Jordan Poyer makes an interception, Shaq Lawson and Gregory Rousseau were the defensive ends on the field. Not Von Miller. Not your best pass rusher. Because in that moment, getting the sack isn't as important as containing Lamar Jackson close to the goal line. Because you can block it up perfectly. But if Lamar Jackson only has to get two yards with an elite athlete like that, that's tough. They picked the players who were best suited for the situation. Not necessarily the best players. That's good coaching. The Bills out-ravened the Ravens. They made the right calls. I have zero problem with Sean McDermott deciding to take the ball at the very beginning because the rain's coming. I have no problem with that. It shows a willingness to be situational and to understand that what you do best may be soon hindered, so let's get a drive in before it's soon hindered. Now, I understand it didn't work out, but I have no problem with that. I think it's a good coaching move. People always say that analytics doesn't account for the weather, and that's true. It doesn't account for the weather. In extreme situations, things may be different. That was close to being extreme situation. So it required something different than just, we're deferring, we're deferring, we're deferring. And I'm fine with that. Again, I think Sean McDermott coached himself one heck of a ball game. One of the other narratives that's been popping out of this game is the percentage of the offense that continues to be Josh Allen. It's always kind of bothered me. And the reason it's bothered me is because that number removes receivers from the equation. If Josh Allen throws the ball 30 yards, it gets caught for zero yak. It's exactly the same percentage of offense as if he throws it for zero yards and the person runs for 30. Exactly the same. But that percentage of the offense completely removes receivers from the equation. Basically, the only thing that that metric tells you is how many yards your rushing game is getting. That's it. Sometimes we decide things are important, but we don't decide they're important for a particular reason. Like a quarterback can't be 80% of the offense, but simultaneously, we want to try to get a quarterback who can pass a lot. But then when you pass a lot, passing becomes a higher percentage of the offense. And based on this particular metric, the running game will shrink. And then you'll say, oh, is the quarterback too big of a part of the offense. Are they over-reliant on the quarterback? Well, other teams wish they could be over-reliant on their quarterback. Other teams are trying to get a quarterback they can be over-reliant upon. So that percentage stat has always bothered me. Do I think the Bills need to run the ball more effectively? Sure, absolutely I do. But I don't think that's the reason why. Sometimes we just decide as a society things, No, we're just not going to do that. Or, all that's bad. But I don't really understand why. One of the funny things about hair color for me is that we decided that two of the three primary colors were acceptable hair colors. Yellow and red. Yellow and red were completely fine. We see someone with yellow hair, we go, yeah, blonde. See someone with red, oh, red. But if we see someone with blue hair, We decided as a society, nope, absolutely not. That person's a rebel. Look at them with their blue hair. Counterculture. That's not professional. I'd never have that in my white collar environment. Why? Because they have blue hair. So two of the three primary colors we're completely fine with. But the third one we're like, nah. Well, Bruce, that's because blondes and redheads occur naturally. Not that blonde. Not that red. Nuh-uh. Trust me, I've seen the blondes. I've seen the reds. It don't look like that. We just decided as a society that yellow and red are fine and blue is not. We just decided as an NFL community that you can't have a quarterback with 80% or more of your offense. That's bad. Why? Why do we decide that? Is that a horrible thing? I don't really think it is. Former Colts offensive coordinator, Tom Moore, was asked one time why they didn't give Peyton Manning's backups more reps. And he says, fellas, if 18 goes down, we're bleeped and we don't practice bleeped. One of the bad things about having a franchise quarterback is that you're one play away from not having a franchise quarterback. And well, if you build up the team around him, you can survive. Well, yeah, you can for a couple weeks. That's absolutely true. And you want to make sure you have a good backup quarterback who can keep you in the hunt when that goes down. But it's going to be really rare to have an exceptional remainder of team in all other aspects, the running game and everything else. So that you can have a simultaneous franchise quarterback who is elite and playing at an elite level, but they are not a significant portion of your offense. Especially in today's society. With quarterbacks who run. Anytime you have quarterbacks who run, they're going to be a significant part of the offense. So would you like Josh Allen to run less? I'm not sure you do. Do you want the running game to be more effective? Sure. I just feel like we just arbitrarily decided that Josh Allen had crossed some imaginary threshold that we put in our heads that we could no longer sustain. I'm not entirely sure that's true. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We got QB stew to go through. Stick with me. We'll be
0: right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience
1: Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It is time, ladies and gentlemen. It is time to go through the first QB Stew of the year. For those uninitiated into QB Stew, QB Stew is a proprietary metric amalgamation that I created a couple years back. You can see the... Link in the show notes for the original article where I'm essentially averaging out multiple advanced quarterback metrics to be able to give me a picture of the quarterback's performance when it comes to efficiency during that time. It was created with the idea that every single advanced metric has a flaw and that flaw can be countered by combining it within a different advanced metric that is strong in the area where the previous one is weak. And if we don't get ourselves tied up into just one of them, and just don't get arrogant enough to assume that one of them is going to magically take care of every single possible explanation when it comes to quarterbacks, we can get a better and more rounded, a more holistic view of quarterback play. So, let's get started. QB Stew, at the top. Number one, Miami Dolphins quarterback, Tua tungo That's right, Tua, number two in QBR, number one in passer rating, number one in average net yards per attempt, number two in EPA per play, number one in DVOA, number five in PFF grade, number two in CPOE for a quarterback, Stew. Of two, number one in the NFL. Yes, he has been just as effective through four games as you think he has been. The hype is real. Now, again, I am going to couch this with the same thing every single time, and that is it's early and there's a lot of football to be played. Kyler Murray was number one on these rankings at this time last year. Teddy Bridgewater was in spot number five and Daniel Jones was in spot number nine still to his efficiency in the new system established by head coach Mike McDaniel with arguably the most dangerous wide receiver duo in football has been exactly what Dolphins fans wanted when they envisioned the new look offense this past summer. He has been every bit as good as People in South Beach were hoping he was going to be. And that's why I really, quite frankly, hope he comes back soon. I hope he comes back soon. Do I anticipate him staying at number one? No, I don't. Because, again, a lot of things change the longer this goes. But he's been very, very good in the snaps he's played thus far. Number two, Patrick Mahomes. Unsurprising. Patrick Mahomes here showing up at the top. Number one in QBR. Number two in passer rating number three in average net yards per attempt, number one in EPA per play, number four in DVOA, number three in PFF grade, number three in CPOE. Patrick Mahomes. We talked about how receivers don't make quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is no different. If you were one of the people who thought Patrick Mahomes was suddenly not going to be good when he didn't have Tyreek Hill, I don't know what to tell you. That's not the case. He's still got Andy Reid, and he's still Patrick Mahomes. Number three, Geno Smith. That's right, Geno Smith. He's been fantastic so far this year. Number five in QBR. Number three in passer rating. Number seven in average net yards per attempt. Number five in EPA per play. Number two in DVOA. Number one in PFF grade. Number one in CPOE. By a large margin, mind you. He's been playing within the offense, and he's looked fantastic. I don't think anybody expected him to come out and play like this at the very beginning of the season. But the Seahawks right now, based on the way Russell Wilson's playing, they're feeling pretty good about the trade. Number four, the one, the only, number one in our hearts, Josh Allen. Number three in QBR, number six in passer rating, number nine in average net yards per attempt, number three in EPA per play, number 12 in DVOA, number two in PFF grade, number six in CPOE. Josh Allen is having a heck of a start to the season. At this time last year, he was not in the top five because Josh Allen didn't start super fast last year. If you remember correctly, the first couple games, Pittsburgh, Dolphins game, Titans game, they weren't super great for Josh Allen. But this year, starting off markedly better. Now, the average net yards per attempt, is taking a hit. Why? Why is it taking a hit? Well, it's taking a hit a little bit because the Bills are still adjusting to the way that defenses are playing them. I mentioned before that Josh Allen has the lowest average depth of target and the quickest time to throw of his entire career right now. The Bills are essentially playing a brand new style. And they're getting yak that they weren't getting previously because those two things are connected. Everyone talks about Yak, yards after catch, like somehow it's only about ball placement. And it is a lot about ball placement. It's also about ball timing. The longer you wait to throw that check down, the more the defense has an opportunity to collapse on it. But Josh Allen has been pulling the trigger quickly. He's been getting yards after catch. They're still adjusting to some of that stuff. Going through the rest of these. Number five, Jalen Hurts. Number six, Lamar Jackson. Number seven, Justin Herbert. Eight, Jacoby Brissett. Nine, Tom Brady. Ten, Cooper Rush. Eleven, Trevor Lawrence. Twelve, Jared Goff. Thirteen, Aaron Rodgers. Fourteen, Ryan Tannehill. Fifteen, Russell Wilson. Sixteen, Joe Burrow. Seventeen, Kirk Cousins. Eighteen, Derek Carr. Nineteen, Kyler Murray. Twenty, Matthew Stafford. Twenty-one, Marcus Mariota. Jameis Winston's at twenty-two. Twenty-two. Matt Jones is at 23, Daniel Jones is at 24, Matt Ryan is at 25, Carson Wentz 26, Davis Mills 27, Mitchell Trubisky 28, Joe Flacco 29, Baker Mayfield 30, and Justin Fields 31. Why are there only 31? Because the only people who qualify are people with at least 100 dropbacks. So in case you're wondering what team is missing one, it was the 49ers. Neither Jimmy Garoppolo nor Trey Lance had 100 dropbacks this year. Some other interesting notes. The second year jumps that people were hoping for Davis Mills and Justin Fields, they haven't happened. This entire offseason, questions were surrounding the Bears' handling of the offensive roster. Did they do enough for Justin Fields? I, for one, was very critical. People pushed back on that. But specifically, the timeline of the new Eberflus Polls regime does not align with the development timeline of quarterback Justin Fields. They don't only lack volume to their passing game, they also don't have any meaningful efficiency to their passing game. So much of quarterback development is everybody being on the same page. And it looks like Justin Fields might be the victim of just not being drafted on their timeline. They came in and did not adjust their timeline for the presence of Justin Fields. They had their timeline already laid out, and he's just along for the ride. It's not really conducive to positive handling of a quarterback. In Houston, there was some optimism surrounding Davis Mills after he finished 2021 strong. Whether or not him or Mac Jones was a better quarterback during the rookie season was up for debate. And a lot of people thought, hey, you know, Davis Mills, he was a five-star recruit. Maybe he's going to take off in his second year. Thus far, that momentum has not carried through. The Texans are looking at a top 10 pick in the 2023 NFL draft. And the clock on Mills is ticking as a preferred starter. So that is stew, And as mentioned, that's where we're at right now. And things are going to change a lot. I will do it again after week eight and again after week 12 and again after week 17. And by the end of the year, after week 17, we'll look back on it and I'll feel pretty good. Right now, do I think that there's people who are going to go up and people are going to go down? Yes, I do. Specifically, I think Kirk Cousins, I think Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, they're all probably going to go up. Geno Smith, Tua, maybe Jalen Hurts, Jacoby Brissett. I think they're going to go down. Baker Mayfield being at the very bottom is unsurprising to a lot of people who didn't think that it was just the shoulder last year. Aaron Rodgers took a little bit of dip. He's the reigning stew champion two years in a row. He took a little bit of a dip because you don't have Devontae Adams to funnel it through. But again, he didn't suddenly become an ineffective quarterback. He's still a good quarterback. But the Packers are playing a little differently than they played previously. We have got some other stuff to get through. Specifically, plurality pie for the Bills-Ravens. And I forgot plurality pie before. And people people said some things to me about missing plurality pie. Plurality pie for Bills-Ravens. Josh Allen. 31%. He was one of the best players on the field. And when you needed to get a play, he did something that was alien and they made a play. Sean McDermott, 21%. I already mentioned earlier that I thought Sean McDermott coached one heck of a game. He has continued to be aggressive and he knew the situations correctly. They out-ravened the Ravens. Matt Milano, 12%. Matt Milano was the best player on defense last week. Matt Milano. Yes, I know. Jordan Poyer had two interceptions. Matt Milano was playing out of his freaking mind. Tremaine Edmonds, 11%. Also, played really well. I think that Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are one of the keys. A lot of people were asking Leslie Frazier, hey, you know, you've had some success against Lamar Jackson. You know, what's what's the key? I don't think he wants to say it, but I think the answer is have Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds as your linebackers. That's the answer. Have those players. And if you don't, I'm sorry. Because your scheme is probably not good enough. But they mentioned that they wanted to change the picture on Lamar Jackson post snap, and they did. And you've got Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. 10%. Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer, two interceptions, has held down the safety spot in Micah Hyde's absence. No interception bigger. Then the fourth down, not only did he make the interception, he made the interception and got the Bills out of bad position because if they would have just stopped him, if he would have knocked it down, they would have gotten the ball on the two. Other, 15%. So Josh Allen, 31%. Sean McDermott, 21%. Matt Milano, 12%. Tremaine Edmonds, 11%. Jordan Poyer 10%. Other, 15%. Quick special shout out, Taron Johnson. Taron Johnson continues to be one of the most underappreciated players in this team. The fact that the Buffalo Bills can stay in nickel regardless of what you are doing and trust that he will be able to fill versus the run and cover man-to-man and zone is incredibly impressive and it should be recognized. Before we get out of here, let's check in on some emails because I got some I got to go through. First one comes from Evan who has a Pittsburgh Steelers almighty take. He says, I'm rewatching the Ravens game on NFL plus, and I might have my most absurd almighty take yet. The bills finally get their running game to work when it makes sense situationally. The running back room combines for 105 yards rushing bills beat Steelers 38 to 16, two rushing touchdowns by Kenny Pickett with two, two point conversions. Groot continues his sack streak. Jordan Poyer adds two more interceptions to continue his chase to Night Train Lane's record. Khalil Shakir finishes as wide receiver one in targets, yards, and touchdowns with Diggs double-covered most of the game. Ooh, Khalil Shakir. That is, uh, that's ballsy. I appreciate, I appreciate ballsy. Michael says, hey Bruce, I have a comment about one-score games. The one thing I don't think gets talked about when talking about the Bills losing the last seven one-score games, especially for fans that are worried about it, is there's an implied competitiveness when they talk about close games. This is what worries fans when thinking about the playoffs, because the Bills will play better teams, which means more competitive games, and therefore a higher likelihood of a close game. But the final point margin is a box stack figure. It is the what, not the why or the how, about the game. We tend to know as fans that the box score doesn't tell the story, such as the game wasn't as competitive as the box score says, i.e. the 18-10 Bills win over the Jets in 2020. This is one of the problems in just looking at the final score. Last season, the first Miami and second New England game were multiple score wins, but in both games, the Bills didn't take the final two-score lead until late in both games a field goal with 329 in the fourth to take a 2011 lead before Allen scored with 107, increased the margin. And in New England, an Allen to Knox touchdown with 230 left in the fourth to increase the lead from 5 to 12. So in these games, the Bills played a close game for the majority of the game, but it doesn't show since they were able to put the game away late. On the opposite side, in 2020, Las Vegas scores with 129 left to make it a seven-point game. So the Bills get a close victory, But where's the line between a comeback attempt and garbage time? It wasn't long ago that fans were complaining that the Bills only won close games and couldn't put teams away. Some of these fans would probably know that Gase was 20-6 and in one-score games while in Miami. Always enjoy the shows. Don't let Nate off easy with the hot takes, Mike. Mike, I love it. I absolutely love it. He followed up and said, Hey, I like the wording that the Bills... PR posted after the Ravens win about Sean McDermott in one score games. Bills PR posted a tweet and they said with a 23-20 win today, the Bills improved to 33-23 and under Sean McDermott in games that were within one score in the fourth quarter. The Bills 589 winning percentage in those games ranks seventh in the NFL since 2007. I agree. I like the way that's worded too. He follows up because it tells more than the final score that was talked about ad nauseum, at least until the, the next close loss. Like he mentioned previously in his last email, this shows that they're good in close games, but we're able to get the closeout score to put the game away in the end. Sometimes, you know, the record in one score games gets punished. I agree. I pushed back against the narrative last week. I'll still push back against the narrative. I wrote an article last week on it. Got some comments that didn't necessarily agree with me. But I'm hoping in time, it'll prove to be right. Because most of the narratives end up being garbage. Because most of them are based on little tiny things where the oblong ball bounces weird. Remember the bills take your foot off the gas in the third quarter narrative? You remember that one? Most of these narratives end up being silly when we look back at them. And I understand that constantly being the tap the brakes guy is boring. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm kind of a boring dude. And so if it feels like I'm always the tap the brakes guy, I'm the three games is a trend guy and I'll push him back against this narrative and push him back against that narrative. Then I understand that a lot of these narratives are fueled by emotion. And I get that too. But most of the time, they end up looking silly in the end. Luke says, Bruce Trajamas, while I'm sure you're enjoying your victory week, I'm even more confident you are walking on sunshine with that one-score game W after publishing an entire pod about this one-score game narrative. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was pretty pleased about it, Luke. I'm not going to lie. I was, I, was, I was pretty happy. David wrote me an email After the Miami game. And he says. Last Sunday. The Miami game. Was a good example of why nobody. Goes undefeated. At some point you get injuries. An off game. Or unfavorable weather. Or even all the above. Going forward. Defeating Miami. Would have left the Bills sitting pretty. But in the end it was a speed bump. It slows you down. But it doesn't stop your journey. Miami is not. In his opinion. An elite team we can't get past. Their defense looked. Good, but the defense is what won the game. For all the hype, their offense moved the ball only okay against a defense full of second and third stringers. Yeah, speed bump is a good usage of that, 100%. And I think we're going to look back at this as a as a speed bump. So yeah, I'm down with it. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did all the things. We talked about all the stuff. We did the QB stew. I appreciate you joining me and if you don't like the QB stew and if you want to yell at me because two is number one remember I I didn't I didn't put him there the numbers did and you know what that's the way the cookie crumbles I'm Bruce Nolan Buffalo Rubblings